Leah, and welcome to this week's Hashtag for Paris podcast. It is wonderful that you could join us for this week's teaching. I'll explain a little bit more about who we are at the end, but for now, let's jump right in. This past week, I was having a conversation with uh, one of our small group leaders. Now, if you're relatively new to the church, this is your very first time, you might be thinking, well, what the heck is a small group? Well, it's a smaller group of people uh, that meet together in various locations, uh, whether it's in people's homes, whether it's in restaurants, or whether it's in the church. And it's always with the purpose of growing in deeper connection with God, but also with one another. And this is a real important part of what we do as our church. And so it was in this conversation that one of our leaders was just sharing uh, something really cool um, about his small group. You see, for us, small groups is always about being intentional about our faith. And for this particular group, one of the things that they do is they pray intentionally for one another. And so every week when they meet, they take prayer requests. And throughout the weeks that come, they pray specifically for what has been asked of them. Well, he was sharing the story of how one particular member in the group shared that one of their family members had recently moved closer to where our church is. Yet they were going through some difficulties. There were some struggles and there were some other extenuating circumstances. And so they asked for prayer. And so the group began to pray for them. But then they kind of felt a bit of a nudge from God as to, well, praying is great and important, but maybe there's something else you could do. And so what they thought of was a food train. Now, when they heard, when I heard that, I was like, what the heck is a food train? Well, basically what it was is for 10 days in a row, different people from their group showed up and just dropped off a meal, dropped off food for this family to enjoy. Just a reminder that even though they may not have known them, that they're being cared for and loved. And what I really love about that story is that it reminds me again of how belief must shape behavior. That it's not just simply to talk about God and talk enough about caring for others, but we have to put it into action. As we continue in this series called Stand, we, we land on this fundamental question of what are you standing upon? What is the foundation of your life? And, and I really hope that regardless of who you are, regardless of where you are, regardless of what you believe about God, that this is a series that helps you take that next step, particularly when it comes to faith, that if you put your trust in God, that you recognize that your belief shapes your behavior. And so as we continue to look at the story of Daniel, the kind of the story that has helped kind of center our conversation through this whole series, it's an opportunity for us again to ask these fundamental questions. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, let me get you caught up to speed. Daniel's story is told in the Old Testament, so before the birth of Jesus. And Daniel is in a rather unique situation because he is living in a circumstance where it's basically a pluralistic society. That although Daniel believes in the importance of God as the God in the midst of all of life, he's living in a society that holds to different values, that believes that there are many gods, that, that doesn't necessarily recognize or acknowledge the God that Daniel worships. And so Daniel is an amazing story for us to begin to understand and to realize how do we remain faithful in a culture that not only doesn't believe everything we believe, but oftentimes may even reject what we believe as well. And so each week we jump back into the story of Daniel to help us understand not only what is my foundation in life, but ultimately how does it impact how I live? 
what I believe, how I behave. And so my, my goal, one of my hopes for all of us is that every week it'd be hyper-practical, that there's an opportunity for us to say, okay, what does this start to look like in my life? And today, we're going to land on the theme of denial. We all do it, don't we? Denial is those little lies or the big lies that we tell ourselves because we don't want to face the reality of the truth. As I think of my own life, I know there's little ways that I kind of live in denial. As I get older, I kind of deny the fact that I can't participate in sports the way I used to when I was in my 20s. That I think I still got it. I still can do what I used to do. But the next day I realize reality is that I should have maybe toned it down a little bit. Or if you're watching this on Sunday, you know that for many of us, we'll be watching Super Bowl. And a lot of us are going to live in denial thinking that I can eat all this crappy food and it's not going to impact me the next day. Well, guess what? You're going to face that reality. But today I want to look at an even deeper reality when it comes to denial. And that how denial can become incredibly dangerous in the midst of life. Because maybe we live in denial, we, we, face, we, we fail to face the reality of the truth. Maybe it's denial of, of thinking, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm not really that addicted to my phone or to social media, that it's not really impacting me that much. But if you ask those around you, would they say the same thing? Or maybe you live in denial thinking that, listen, my, my boss doesn't really care if I cut a few corners or if I'm online and I show up a little bit late and I, I knock off a little bit early. That's not that big of a deal, is it? But we're living in denial. Or maybe you think the belief of, if I become a little bit more successful, if I just have a little bit more money, if I finally meet the right person, then ultimately all of my problems and concerns and sense of meaning will be given to me in life. But in many ways, that too is denial. Or maybe from a faith perspective, we think, you know what? It doesn't really matter if we have a bit of sin in our lives or if we don't exactly follow everything God asks for us. I mean, end of the day, as long as I am a good person, that should count for enough, right? Today, I want to have an honest conversation about the danger and the damage of denial, what, what its root cause is, and then how we can respond to it. And so today, I want to turn again to the story of Daniel. And we're actually picking it up a, a little bit later on. Daniel has aged and is much older right now. But we see a scenario in the midst of a conversation that Daniel has with the king of Babylon that helps to show us first the damage and the danger of denial, but then secondly, how we can respond so that denial does not become a part of who we truly are. And so let's turn to Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 1. And the context is there's a new king in charge. But listen to what happens. First one we read. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. 
He wanted to drink from them and his nobles, his wives and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, from the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale and fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. We're just going to... We're just going to pause here for a moment and make a couple observations before we carry on. Clearly, a lot is going on. What we begin to see is there is a new king in charge, and guess what? He has no time for God. He jumps out and has this amazing act of defiance. He orders that the goblets from the temple in Jerusalem be brought to him so that he and his wives and his concubines and his nobles can drink and just party the night away. And then on top of that, they begin to worship their idols of gold and silver and bronze and wood. To put it bluntly, this was an open act of defiance to God. Put it in more common day language, the king of Babylon was giving God the middle finger. Basically saying, I have no time for you at all. And then something happens. Like just imagine for a moment, over a thousand people are partying and celebrating and then there is dead silence. Why? Because there is a hand, a human hand writing on the wall. Now, I don't know if I was the king, my first response is, okay, maybe I should put the Merlot aside. Things are going crazy, but everyone saw it. And the king, the most powerful man in the land, is terrified. His, his color of his face is completely drained. His knees are knocked. And from what we read, he basically drops to the floor. So he calls in his wise men. And is basically like, you need to tell me what is going on. And guess what? They don't have a clue. Now, if you've been walking with us the last number of weeks or you're more familiar with the story of Babylon, of, of Daniel, you realize there's a bit of deja vu going on. The deja vu is basically this. The king defies God. God sends a message. The king turns to his wise men, asking them what the heck is going on. They have no clue. In comes Daniel to explain the circumstance. That's exactly what happens here. They summon Daniel to bring him in to explain to this new king what the heck is going on. So let's continue the story. We're going to jump down to verse 17 of Daniel chapter 5. Daniel answered the king, You can keep your gifts or give them to someone else, but I will tell you what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that the people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, 
He was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar. And you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. For you have proudly defiled the Lord of heaven, and you've had these cups from your temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent his hand to write this message. This is the message that was written. Many, many, tekel and parson. This is what these words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighted, and you have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck, and he proclaimed to the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Deep breath, deep breath. So, read a lot there. What happened? My first thought is I really hope that king enjoyed the party because it didn't last long. That very night, he lost his kingdom, he lost his glory, he ultimately lost his life. It's here we see an interesting reference. In our day, we know when we say the comment, the writing is on the wall, it's a reference to the fact that the end is in sight. It's inevitable. You can't change what's about to go down. Did you know that that originated from this very passage? That almost 2,500 years ago, that's where we get it from? Because basically what has happened is God is sending a message to the king. Your time is done. Your days are numbered. Your reign and your rule will be no more. The writing is on the wall. So, <laughs> what does that mean for us? I mean, it's kind of interesting, a bit of a historical reference point for where we got that phrase from. But end of the day, like, what difference does it make for you and me? As you start to peel back the layers a little bit, as you jump a little bit deeper into what is going on historically, you begin to see the significance of this event. You see, scholars tell us that days, if not only weeks prior, the entire Babylonian army was wiped out by the Medes and Persians. About 50 miles away from the capital of Babylon, the entire army was defeated. And guess what? The Medes and Persians were not done yet. 
they were making their approach to march into the capital to conquer it as well. The city knew it, the people knew it, and the king knew it. That's the backdrop. And so what did the king do? Imagine your enemies had just wiped out your entire army and they were marching into your city. What would you do? You'd maybe gather everyone and try to think, what is your plan? How can we negotiate? What do we need to do? Maybe we turn to God. I don't know what you do. But you know what the king did? He's like, come to the palace. We are going to throw the biggest bender ever. And in the midst of it, we are going to mock God by drinking from his goblets. Like, do you want to talk about denial? That is what we see 100-fold. And it's here we start to see what the root of denial really is. And that is pride. Our inability to deal with the truth our inability to, to perhaps humble ourselves and take a step back and realize the error of our ways. We see this specifically in the message of Daniel to the king. Even before he gets into the interpretation, he gives him a bit of a history lesson. He begins to remind him of his predecessor 20 or so years earlier. King Nebuchadnezzar was not unlike him. He too had great power and sovereignty and rule, but it was all given to him by God. And because he failed to honor God with what he had, God stripped him of it, basically forcing him into the wilderness to act like an animal. Like I love the line, he lived with wild donkeys. Like, like let that image run through your mind for a moment. The most powerful man in the nation, in the land, had it all stripped away because he failed to honor God. Yet there's grace in the story that when he finally recognized, when he confessed, when he humbled himself, God restored him to his place of authority. If you want to get more of this, this is chapter four in the book of Daniel. But this is what we see happening and then at the end of it all, in verse 22, Daniel says this to the king. After reminding him of the history, he would have known this. He says to the king, but you have not humbled yourself. Though you knew this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. I don't know, maybe this is the polite way of Daniel saying, king, you are being an idiot don't you see? Don't you remember how this has played out in the past? Kings before you have mocked God and they were humbled and were not restored until they recognized and confessed and turned back to God. And you, O king, will face the same fate, hence the writing on the wall, because your days are numbered. But then here we land. The king's response, he doesn't change. Yeah, he gives some presents to Daniel as a means of, of thanking him for his interpretation. But there's no sense of confession. There's no sense of repentance. There's no humbling himself before God to see if maybe there could be some sort of a different outcome. And because of his failure to humble himself, 
because of denial and pride, his unwillingness to deal with the truth, his life ended tragically. He lost everything. His life, his rule, his reign, his kingdom was completely wiped out that night. As we think about this story, I think one of the most valuable lessons in life is that when we don't deal with pride, it not only produces denial, but blinds us from the truth. Isn't that so true? That oftentimes we live in denial because we don't want to admit that perhaps we have made mistakes. We don't want to deal with the fact that maybe we're going down the wrong path. We don't want to deal with the truth of, of thinking that maybe the things we are pursuing are not going to bring the sense of meaning and satisfaction into our lives. You see, humility is an interesting thing. We admire it in others, yet it is so hard to attain in our lives because of pride. And pride loves to produce denial and blind us from the truth. So as we wrap up, what does this mean for, for you and for me? I mean, we can kind of close it up and think, okay, this is an interesting story. I now have the historical reference for writing is on the wall. Really bad for King Belshazzar. I wish his fate would have been different. But it doesn't do anything for you or for me. Or we can be honest and ask ourselves, is our pride blinding us from God's truth for you and for me? Let me suggest it in two ways. The first one is this. Is our pride leading us to denial of believing that we don't actually need Jesus in our life? This whole series is about making God through Jesus the foundation of your life. Because he is the one, I believe, the only one who can bring ultimate hope, assurance, meaning, and purpose Yet too often, we are like that king. We, we look to worship the other idols and gods in this world. The God of success, the God of wealth, the God of relationship, the God of accomplishments. But are we living in denial, realizing that ultimately, even no matter how successful we become, how healthy we may be, how wealthy we may become, it's not going to meet that ultimate need for purpose. And there's a reason for that. It's because God has wired you, has created you to find meaning and purpose in him. It's why Jesus says, I have come so that you may have the abundant life. You may have the life worth living. Yet it means we humble ourselves and recognize that we are in need of Jesus in your life. Maybe for some of you watching today, this is the truth that you are denying. 
that, that you are trying to find meaning and satisfaction in so many of the other things in this world instead of looking to the creator of you and me as the one who brings ultimate meaning. Don't allow pride to deny you of the incredible grace that God wants to give to you in Jesus. But then maybe there's some of you, and I'd throw myself into this category, who landed a place of, of realizing that, that God is the foundation of your life. That, that you don't need any convincing that, that, that Jesus is the ultimate one that you want to serve. But the problem is that you live in the place of wondering, well, do I then have to follow everything that God asks of me? I mean, end of the day, God, God, I believe in you. I, I believe in Jesus and, and his death and his resurrection and the importance of following him. But, but that stuff you say about, you know, like forgiving, the stuff you say about loving those who are not always loving to me, that the stuff you say about, about giving generously, like maybe, ooh, ooh, maybe we can just pull back a little bit on this, right? We, we live in denial, thinking that Jesus wants to be a part of every element in life. I think too often what, what the problem we land in as Christians is we make Jesus like an accessory, like, a, like something we, we wanna put on but then take off when it doesn't meet our convenience. One of the like, most life-changing times, seasons in my life was my third year in university. I would have been about 22 years old. And I was never at a point where I denied the existence of Jesus. I believed in Jesus. I, I believed he was the son of God. The rub was I didn't want to follow his ways. Particularly when it came to some of the extracurricular activities I wanted to engage in in university. The things that everyone else was doing. Apparently trying to find meaning, but not realizing it wasn't found there. And I remember I get into this place of thinking, well, God, I can still believe in you, but, but, but maybe I don't need to follow you in everything I do. Well, I didn't, I didn't get a freaky hand writing on the wall, but God spoke into my life through my brother. Because I remember sharing with my brother one day and saying, you know, I believe in Jesus and I believe in God, but I'm just, I'm just not into following him. And my brother's like, listen, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a half-assed faith. <laughs> and it stopped me in my tracks. It made me realize that I was either in or out. You see, it's not enough just simply to believe in Jesus. This belief must begin to shape your behavior. And so maybe you're living in a little bit of denial that is preventing you from seeing the truth. And the truth is that God doesn't want to be just a part of your life. He wants to be your life. Which means there's not a part of life that he does not occupy. Today, this week, as you think about your life, are you making, the G are you making Jesus your foundation? Because ultimate hope and meaning will only be found in him. And if you do, make sure 
that Jesus is at the center of everything you do. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day. I give thanks in particular for the example of Daniel, the reminder again of the importance of following you in the midst of all of life. I pray for those that perhaps are struggling and, and wondering if they really can make you their foundation. May they see the truth in you. I pray for those of us that have made that decision but are, are, are struggling with, with wondering just how, how much they need to give over to you, Jesus. May we not allow pride to get in the way. May we humble ourselves in such a way that, that we honor you, Jesus, in the midst of all that we do. For we ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Listen, if you're, if you're in a place today where you have made that step of saying, Jesus, I want you at the center of my life, but you're wondering what does that next step look like, send me an email. Love to connect with you. Love to journey with you as we together learn and live what it looks like to make Jesus the foundation of our life. And so now may the blessing and love of God the Father Almighty, the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the peace and comfort of the Holy Spirit be with you today, today, and in all of your tomorrows. Amen. today. We hope that you were encouraged by what you just heard. Just so you know a little bit more about who we are, hashtag for Paris. Our church is about creating a culture that shows people that we are for them and for our local community. Jesus invites us to experience a meaningful life with him and others. So we meet every Sunday morning in person at the Paris Presbyterian Church at 1030 a.m. and throughout the week in various home groups and pubs here in Paris. It is here that we experience authentic relationships and we grow deep in our faith journeys together. If you would like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And it is here that you can find links to any of our other audio and video podcasts, sermons, and you can track with what's happening with us each month. Please go straight to our website for more information now about our home groups and how you can get involved. Our website is parispresb.ca. Yes, that's right, parispresb, P-R-E-S-B dot C-A. And it's there that you can share our links with your friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, we have friends from around the world who connect in with us online on a regular basis. And so lastly, please feel free to email me and get connected directly. I would love to chat with you. My email is leah at parispres.ca, and I'll get back, right back to you. So that's all we have for now. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everyone. <laughs>